Well, I want to take a moment just to uh, remind and invite you all to join us this afternoon at our uh, church's annual meeting. That's today uh, after our second service at noon over at our South Street campus. So again, all four campuses will be joining together there. If you're a member, uh, we really need you uh, to be there to vote on um, the church budget, on our church leadership. Uh, if you are not a member, I want to just encourage you, if you're passionate about what's going on in the life of the church, the ministry, if you have questions, um, if you want to look back and celebrate uh, all that we have seen God do, this is a great opportunity uh, for those very things. So that is taking place today, and we would love to have you uh, join us for that. Also, um, just want to remind everybody that in just a few weeks, we have our... Um, Saturday evening Doubter's Guide to Jesus conversation with John Dixon. So this is going to be um, a, a four-week series. I have these available out in the lobby. Um, John is going to present uh, for probably 30 to 40 minutes or so, and then just leave it open for questions. It's a great opportunity, one, not only to be equipped around questions that we all ask and wrestle with and and. Um, can grow from, and but it's also an amazing opportunity to bring a friend. I, I, I'm sure that across this room, there are conversations happening around lunch tables and across cubicles and offices and with friends on the sideline of a soccer game that, that um, where people are asking the type of questions that, that John is going to be looking at. And I think that this is going to present an amazing opportunity for people uh, to invite friends who are asking questions and just sit in a comfortable environment and, and learn together and grow. And if you've heard John preach here with us a number of times, you know that this is his passion and his heart. And so we're really praying about this. Again, this will start on um, September 23rd. It'll run four consecutive Saturdays from 6.30 to 7.30. So we'll have our Saturday night service here at 5.00. That'll end at six, and people can head over to Kesslinger to join us for A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. So we're really, really looking forward to this. And again, these are available out in the lobby. I encourage you to grab a handful, not only for yourself, but also for, uh, to invite a friend or a neighbor. By the way, um, if you are unable to go to all four, it's absolutely fine. Like there's, um, they don't, it's not interdependent on each other. So you can come to whichever ones you can, come to, and, and I think you'll really enjoy that. Last week, uh, as Ali referenced earlier, we began our four-week series entitled Pathway to Purpose. So just this fall, as, as we launch into ministry, our programs are getting going, we wanted to begin with just four weeks focusing on reminding ourselves on, on the heart of the church, right? reminding ourselves of the mission and the vision that Jesus left us with. And so last week, if you were here, we just we, we talked a little bit about uh, the neighborhood church vision, how we at Chapel Street articulate this work that Jesus left his disciples with. We talked about how um, not only does this represent itself in, in neighborhood campuses and how God has led us into that, but, but more importantly than that, it really is a vision that we view our homes as chapels on our street, that we are representations of this kingdom work that Jesus is doing in our specific neighborhood. So it's not about four campuses on four streets, but it's about a thousand homes on a thousand streets where this kingdom vision is being lived out. And that is the, the history, the meaning of our name 
Chapel Street. We spent a little bit of time together talking about Acts chapter 2, where we looked at this, this story of the birth of the church, this move of the Holy Spirit, and how the people, after hearing the gospel preach and, and having their hearts and lives transformed as they placed their faith in Jesus, they formed, they gathered in this committed community together. The text says in, in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves. And again, the meaning behind that word is like, like stay resident in. We're committed to, like we don't want to leave this place. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, the text says. And when they did so, what we discovered is that the, the mission of God that he had given these people, that it began to expand. The text says that God was adding to their numbers daily those who are being saved. And, and we highlighted, we punctuated this, this mission and vision, if you were here last week, by sharing Danny Flores' story. Um, if you weren't here, Danny is a, a pastor in Elgin. Um, he leads a church called Our Church, the letter R at church, and had a vision, and it's a whole God story here, but... And in ways that only God can, he has been um, gathering a group of people to launch Capia at our South Street campus. They meet Sunday evenings right now once a month. Um, uh, worship is entirely in Spanish. Uh, the sermon is entirely in Spanish and had their first baptism over the last few weeks. Like God is already moving. So there's this partnership that really neither of us uh, a year ago or a little over a year ago had in mind but Danny told his story about coming illegally into the states living in this this trailer home under a false identity when this church this weird pastor shows up invites him to church I just assume all pastors are weird I don't really know him but <laughs> but he invites him to church and he's sitting out there where all of you are and he hears the gospel and he understands this is is for me and his life begins to radically change the pastor starts to disciple him. He leads him through the process of, of, um, of citizenship. He gets his education and ministry. He gets all of this. And now he is just passionate about telling people what God has done in his life so that they might experience the same thing. If you hear him, if you hear him talk about Kapia and the opportunity that exists there, you will see him light up. And it's this continuation of the work that we saw launched in Acts chapter 2 playing out to this very day. And we see it happen all around us. So we, we talked about this in this corporate sense. We, the, the big church. And yet today I want to I spend these next three weeks together as we move forward looking at and thinking about our role within this vision. Asking ourselves questions like, what does it mean for us to be a part of the church and subsequently, then how does God prepare me to, and, and, and desire to grow me in this mission and vision? The, the image that came to mind when I was thinking about this, and this is probably why I call pastors weird, but um, and anybody that grew up in the 80s, you were uh, shaped pretty dramatically by the movie Karate Kid. Anybody? Um, and you'll remember, like, this is the, the movie poster. This is why I could never do karate, because I could never get my face that close. Unless, unless Sherry was my sensei, I couldn't do this. So, 
Um, and in that movie, if you've seen it, you'll remember there's this, this moment when Daniel starts to learn karate and Mr. Miyagi is training him. And he has him wash and wax his car. And then he has him sand down like his patio and he has him paint the fence. And Daniel sort of has this moment, it's like, you're not teaching me anything. You're just using me to get all your home projects done. And, and, and he has this part where he starts to show him that the motions, the things that he had been doing, the repetition time and time again, formed the basis of everything he would need to know for, for karate. And I, I think of this, and it's, there's this image of discipleship here, of, of apprenticeship, of the things that we integrate into our lives in order to learn what it means to live and do certain things and that really is is the heart of of what's behind these next three weeks i want to put up this this uh hexagon here and again you're going to look at this we did not invent any of this some of this is language we've used for years when we talk about experience grace and grow in faith and make an impact we we spent time thinking and praying about and and going over what are the what are the rhythms what are the things in the heart of a disciple that help us be formed and shaped into the image of Jesus into the work that he's left us with right and we ended up landing on the same things that the church has landed on for 2000 years so we didn't we didn't come up with anything new and an innovative it's really rather a a return to a reminder of these practices in our life. And as we kind of looked at it, and again, it's not a perfect correlation, but we saw it break down into kind of some of the areas that, that we talk about as, as a church. Just a, just a couple weeks ago, I was sitting with a, a, a man grabbing a cup of coffee. He was dealing with some difficult things in his life and family and just going back and forth and asking him some questions. And I started to inquire about just kind of where he was at spiritually, how he was um, um, investing in his family and in himself to grow in Christ. And he, he sort of shared with me that that really wasn't a, a, an area of strength for him. It had been something that he kind of neglected. And so um, I had all of this kind of in the back of my head because it had been something we'd been talking about and thinking about. And I just began to walk through it with him. Like, here's some things that, here's some starting points that we can begin to integrate as we talk about personally being in, in God's word and in prayer, as we talk about what it means to gather for worship, as we talk about using your gifts and, and serving. Is it, let's start to build in some of these things as we seek to continue in this journey towards Christ together. Now, I, I can imagine that if some of you look at that that image up on the screen, right? There can be kind of this like uh, reaction that we have. Like uh, uh, you feel like your, your chest starting to tighten up and like you break out in hives because you get like, okay, are the next three weeks going to be about how I'm not doing enough? Is the next three weeks going to be about like uh, a guilt trip on, on how you need to do more? And I just want, I want to tell you today that is not the heart of this. That is not our motivation. That's not my motivation. In fact, I, I would argue that it's quite different than that. Because I believe as we talk about these things, the heart behind it is that God wants to give you more of himself. Right? He wants us to receive from him. And these are some of the things that he has given us 
as, as individuals, but also as the body of Christ, wherein we experience his grace. And so today I, I want to talk about the first two of these under that category of experience grace. And I want to use First uh, Peter and his description of the church here as kind of a framework for us to think about this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter. Um, if you're new to kind of finding this in the Bible, First Peter is in the like last 90%. You're going to see it um, towards the very, very back of, of your Bible. And this is in chapter 2 of his first letter. This is verse 9 now. This is what Peter, this is how he describes this, the church. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just, just take note in, of that purpose that's at the center of this here. After the description, right? After he tells them who they are, he says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And for Peter, this, this whole idea of, of proclaiming Right? It begins by understanding that grace has been proclaimed to us. Grace has been proclaimed to us. That's the first thing that we see here in, in the text. And we talked a bit about this last week, but I, I want to take a moment to come back to this idea because it's foundational. Because I think from Peter's understanding, he's saying we cannot proclaim something, we can't be the voice of something that we don't know. So in the text here, there is this clear before and after. Look at verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you are. This is who you were. This is who you are now, Peter writes. And again, in this letter, he, he gets more descriptive of this. First uh, Peter 1, if you flip over there, just a page back. This is at the very beginning of his letter in verse 3. He writes this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the transformative moment. This is the grace that has been proclaimed to us, that defines us. Jump down to verses 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He, he again, describes this further after this description of the church later in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is Peter's description. The, the word that Peter uses in verse 9 and 10 to describe 
this group of people who've come to, who've had this grace proclaimed to them is the word chosen. Peter's drawing on this, this uh, description in Deuteronomy chapter 7 where God says of the people of Israel, I have chosen you and I have chosen you because I love you. And you've been chosen for a purpose. You are going to be the uh, experienced blessing of God to the world around you. I'm going to bless you, and then that is going to be poured out to the people around you. Peter turns that same language and he applies it to the church. This is what God intends to do, and what God intends to do through us, through this community, is only possible because of what he has done in us, what he's done for us. Again, you heard this so clearly last week in Danny's testimony. When, when, when Danny, if you remember, if you were here, by the way, if you weren't here, go, go back and watch the sermon uh, last week. You, you'll hear, um, well, I hope it was all valuable, but you'll hear Danny's story at, at the end, and it is worth listening to. But at the very end of that, he gets emotional as he's talking about the vision of, of reaching um, the Latino community, the Spanish-speaking community that is all around us and among us. And then he just looks at the camera and he says, isn't, isn't grace amazing? Because this continues to go forward. It's something that he has experienced that has been done to him. And he can't help but sort of be a part of this. It, it started with what happened in him. Around here, when you hear us use phrases like the message of the gospel or being spiritually transformed from death to life, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Right? It's, it's the invitation of Jesus that's offered by grace. And when I say offered by grace, it means it's 100% and completely unearned and undeserved. So if there's any part of you right now right, that, that has that sense of sort of like picking yourself up by the bootstraps and making yourself presentable enough, understand that's not what this is. That, that's not the gospel. That's not grace. In fact, it's when we turn inward and we, we see the brokenness and we, we see everything that I've done wrong and we're trying to figure out how am I going to reconcile this? How can I make this right? Not only among these relationships, how do I make it right into a relationship with a perfect and holy God? And Jesus says, I'll, I'll take it on. Oh, I will carry that. I will pay that price. I will do that for you. And, and what I'm asking of you is not that, that you would bring anything to the table, but rather that you would just trust me with it. You'd place your faith in me. That's the invitation of, of the gospel. That's placing our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. He, Peter writes, himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds we are healed. If there's anybody a uh, fan of the show The Chosen, which I always I always hesitate to cite The Chosen, because it's like uh, it's it's you know it's not the Bible, but it's it's um, some pretty cool pictures sometimes. And um, Mary Magdalene, there's this in season one. There's this great scene where Mary Magdalene is being kind of questioned by Nicodemus. He's heard the story of of her transformation and just wants to ask about her interactions with Jesus. He's exploring who Jesus is. And in response to his questioning, Mary Magdalene says this. 
He says, I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I think, I think that is, uh, again, I can't cite a verse where Mary Magdalene says that, but that is a beautiful articulation of the gospel. I was one way, and now I am completely different, and what happened in between was him. We are a people, Peter writes, who has had grace proclaimed to us. We are those who have received mercy. And he's saying, as a result, we've experienced grace. And so the question then becomes, as, as a church, what do we do with that? Where does that go? Again, I think, I think Peter's description here is, is helpful. Because then we understand that we have the capacity to proclaim grace to each other. It's a, it's a grace that we proclaim in community to each other. And this is here. Notice again, I want to just put verse 9 back on the screen real fast. Look at all these descriptors. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. What do you notice in these descriptors? It's all plural. It's all, it's all descriptive of a corporate gathering of people brought together. It's a description of a gathered people. I was, again, reflecting on this this week and, and, and trying to understand the heart behind why we gather. And I was thinking of it from the perspective of a father, because as many of you have heard me say, I, I'm at the stage of life where I have two of my uh, oldest are away at school. Um, it's just Sherry and myself and Naomi uh, most of, of the time and how my mom when she's visiting for the weekend. So that's nice. Have my mom with us. And those moments I get as a dad when everybody is home together, when we're all around the table together, right? That is, that's where it's at, right? That is life giving for me. And I think there is something in that that is descriptive of the heart of God when his kids are together for his express purpose. I think what we learn is that together matters. This is the heartbeat behind our worship. This is, this is why we make it a pattern to be together regularly, once a week gathering. This is one of our six G's, by the way. Let me put this up on the screen. The first of the six G's, these are under the two category of experience grace, is this habit, this pattern, this value of gathering together for worship. And it says, as followers of Jesus, we gather together each week for corporate worship where we sing his praises, where we hear his word preached, and offer up collective prayers and devotion to give him honor and glory. Like that is, that is why we're here. This last spring, we studied the book of, of Colossians together, and Paul words it this way in Colossians chapter 3, if you just flip over a couple of, of books earlier in the New Testament. This is Colossians 3, verse 15. He says this, he says, Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all, wisdom, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul describes this as a part of our corporate uh, purpose. In the book of Hebrews, the author describes it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, 
Let us watch out for one another to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. Push each other towards this. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching the church in the New Testament is to be an embodied gathering. It's not, it's not done in isolation, but rather it's done in a corporate setting where we proclaim grace to each other in our worship, in the reading of God's word, in our conversations around a cup of coffee in the lobby when we pray for each other. It's for this specific purpose. Paul David Tripp uh, wrote this. He says, corporate worship is designed to remind you again and again of the right here, right now, presence, promise, and power of your Redeemer. The presence and the power and the promise of your Redeemer. This is why we gather. I think this is one of the, the, the the lessons of COVID for me. When, when, and I, I thank God that we had an online ability in that time. And I, I don't diminish that, but I, I just was, I missed you guys being together in the same room. In fact, oftentimes when we would, well, not oftentimes, every time when we would preach um, for the online service, we would be at the Kesslinger campus, which if you've never been there, it's probably five times the size of this room in, in the worship area. Um, and it was completely empty. The, the only thing that you were preaching to was a flashing light on the camera and back. And that was hard, super difficult. So much so that I, I struggled with it. So what I had to do was I, I, I had to visualize you all sitting there. I had to imagine being here with all of you and being able to speak in a way because it's not meant to be done to an empty room and a camera. It's an embodied thing. What we learned, the lesson of COVID was that together matters. It matters. And this has been God's plan from the very outset, from the very beginning. When, when Peter uses this terminology of, of a royal priesthood. He's, again, borrowing from language that, that the Jewish community would have been very familiar with and had meaning behind it. In Genesis, when God said it's not good for man to be alone, right? He, he said that, that you were designed for relationship from the outset. And after in, in Genesis chapter 3, when, when sin enters the picture and God begins to enact his plan of redemption and restoration... Right? He does so by calling together first Abraham and his family. And out of that, he establishes a covenant family. And that covenant family begins to grow where they become a covenant people. And out of this covenant people, this extended family, he develops a, a, the nation, the people of Israel, to live in covenant relationship with a God, to be the the experience of God's blessing in the world and out of the covenant people of Israel is going to come a savior, Jesus Christ, who is going to gather to himself followers from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people who from all over the gamut, who look different, speak different, have different understandings and backgrounds and all of it. And he's going to bring it together in this motivated body 
to go forward and, and proclaim the gospel. And they're going to do it together. It's his plan from the very outset. Together matters. I need to be here with you. Because I need you to proclaim grace to me and with me. And I hope that in whatever way God can use it, I hope that in some way I am able to do the same for you. And please hear me on this. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty in any way. We got some like music. That was like, like Eric's song, I think. Um, I don't want, I'm not, my goal is not to, to make you when you're not able to be here on a Sunday or a Saturday night feel guilty about it. That is not my objective. My objective is to help you understand. I want you to know it, it's not about guilt. It's about purpose. It's about knowing you are missed and in, in when you can't be here with us. This is the grace that we proclaim to each other. But here's the thing. It's not, it's not contained within these walls. Because as we speak it to each other, as we sing it, as we hear it in conversation and prayer and word and all of that, then we are not only a gathered people, but we are a sent people. Because it is also about grace proclaimed to the world. It's about grace proclaimed to the world. One more time in, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, verse 9. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This, our purpose, right, as, as people of, of this presentation of grace, our call to live as those who are chosen as a royal priesthood does not stop when we leave this building. Uh, again, um, to, to cite Paul in his letter to the Romans, he asked this question, like, how, how are people going to hear this unless somebody says, this is in uh, Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. Listen to Paul's argument here. He says, how then can they call on him whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Which I know what you're thinking right there. Like, oh, okay, it's your job. You're the preacher. That Paul's not writing to pastors here. He's writing to the church. He says, you, he's talking about, and me. He says, you, uh, exchange that word for preacher as proclaimer. How can they hear without a proclaimer? And how can they proclaim unless they're sent? It is written, how beautiful are the, are the feet of those who bring good news. And this is our, our second G that we're focusing on today. And that is simply our, our commitment to sharing the gospel. It's the gospel. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest message the world has ever known, and that we are called to share the gospel wherever we have opportunity. And Peter, by the way, gives us some strategy for this. If you notice just a couple verses down in verse 12, he talks about it in the way that we live. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they, they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So it's, he's saying you're making this proclamation of grace in the way that you conduct yourselves, in the way that you live. And again, we talk about this as living in the way of Jesus. 
We live in, a, in the way of Jesus. As we do this, it points people to Jesus. But then flip over to chapter 3 and verse 15 then. Peter continues on and he says, And in your hearts regard Christ as uh, regard Christ as the holy as the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Oops. Did you notice Peter's assumption here? People are going to ask you questions. Like if if the conduct is in such a way, if you're living in the way of Jesus, that is going to generate some curiosity amongst people. They're going to know why you do the things that you do and why you spoke to that person the way, why you treated this person that way, why you um, interacted with with, uh, this community that way, why you uh, chose to um, pass on a raise because it was going to cause you to compromise. Why would you do that? People People are going to be curious, and Peter's point is be ready with an answer. Be be ready to tell them. Be ready to proclaim the grace to them that has been proclaimed to you. And and here's what I think Peter is ultimately driving at, or at least where I would encourage you to start, is that is know your story. When people ask you why you did this or, or why you said that, when the curiosity comes, be ready to tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Be ready to tell your story. A couple weeks ago, I, I shared uh, the example of, and I always hesitate to do this because it, anytime I'm using like an illustration where it seems like I got something right, like it, uh, it, it's, I don't, I say it because it's rare. Um, and and I, I had this encounter with this, this woman at the emissions testing center in Naperville. And I went there. I was crabby. It was the end of the day. I was annoyed that I was paying $150 for a sticker to put on my license plate. And I was all worked up. And I wanted to get home and eat. And, um, and she comes in to the checkout area. And she starts talking to the employees and asking about she needed a tank of gas. And... and didn't appear that there was anything they could do to help her. And I literally, I was three quarters of the way out the door thinking in my head, well, that would be horrible, right? Oh man, I'm glad I'm not her kind of thing as I'm walking out the door. And then it was as if I was like, is there anything you want to do about this? So I, I, again, I begrudgingly, I turned around. I said, look, just wait in your car. I'll go to the gas station, get a tank, get whatever. I'll get a little gas tank, get you so you can get there and, and, and get filled up. And as I'm pouring the gas into her tank, um, and I, I told this story a couple weeks ago, she said, you're such a nice person. I said, I, I promise you that's not what's happening here. <laughs> but I said, in just the most succinct way, I said, you know, um, years ago, I decided to place my faith in Jesus. He totally turned my life up, upside down. And, and, and he wanted me to know I came to believe what Jesus had done for me. And I said, I think today he wants you to know that he did that for you too. And so if all this is not about me being nice or anything, I, just, I think your God wants you to know that he sees you and that he loves you. And, and left it there at that. I think we have opportunities around us all the time to proclaim grace, to share the gospel, to tell people the good news. It can be something as, as 
straightforward as inviting them to a, an event at church, inviting them to join you on a Sunday morning, or it can be a conversation uh, with a complete stranger in the parking lot of an emission center. Um, but the opportunities are all around us. And Peter challenged us to know and tell our story. Today, as, as we gather, I'm going to invite the worship team to return here with me because one of the things, one of the most profound ways that we have as a shared corporate embodied gathering to proclaim grace to each other is at, is at the Lord's table, um, where we experience and are reminded again of his body given for us and his blood shed for us. In just a moment, the worship team is, is going to lead us. And by the way, if you are new with us this morning, um, this is not about Chapel Street. The table does not belong to us. It's the table of our Lord. Um, you're welcome to join us. The only stipulation that we ask that you consider is in God's word. It, it asks that this would be reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And that might not be where you're at today. That's absolutely okay. We're so glad you're here. In fact, I, I would, I'm hoping and praying that watching um, this body share in the table together is a proclamation of what we have come to believe about who Jesus is and what he has done. But when you're ready, as the worship band plays, you can come to the center aisle and make your way to the table. And at the table will be the cup and, and the bread. And you can take the bread and go back to your seat in the cup and go back to your seat and be reminded of his body that was broken for you. A tangible reminder of the grace of Jesus for you. And take the cup because it's a, it tells you again the story of his blood that was shed on the cross so that we might experience forgiveness, the cup of a new covenant. You can go back to your seats, you can take them, uh, the elements as you are, are ready, and then, um, and then I'll come up and, and close us in a few minutes. So after I pray for us, um, I'll set out the elements, and you can kind of come down the center aisle and then go back to your seats that way. And we'll go uh, share on the Lord's table together. Father, we thank you again for this gathering. We thank you for the corporate body of Christ that you have called us into. We pray that we may once again live out this mission and this vision of proclaiming grace to each other and proclaiming grace to the world around us. Lord, again, remind us of the purpose that you have given us. Remind us of all of this is because of the grace that you have bestowed on us. The grace that was possible because of what you accomplished on the cross and through your resurrection. And so as we come to your table today, remind us again of the grace that changes everything. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are a people who have had grace proclaimed to us, spoken or given to us. Um, because of that, we proclaim it to each other, and we're sent to proclaim it to our world. That is our purpose. That's, that's what God has called us to do. Now receive this morning's benediction. As, we, as I do that, be reminded we can pray with you. Our team is available. Uh, our genera uh, generosity boxes are by our side doors. Uh, you can um, give there as well. And now go in the name of Jesus Christ, whose gift of grace was secured on the cross, whose grace we remember in his body and in his blood, and who sends us as people of grace to proclaim grace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.